My name is Yixuan Pan, and I am a working artist. Approaching thirty, I suddenly realized that I've never had a full-time job in my life. Before I freaked out, I started this podcast, Working Artist. Here, I ask other artists my favorite question: What do you do for money? I'm curious to know how creative people make things work for them. What is their lifestyle outside of the nine-to-five grind? How does their day job affect their identity as artists, and vice versa? Please email weareworkingartists at gmail.com if you are interested in being a guest and sharing your stories with me. Visual artists. Musicians, writers, dancers—I can't wait to hear about your normal, boring, exciting, absurd, under the table, badass day jobs. Have you heard the sound of vibraphones? It is so uncontaminated. It's like children's giggles when they play. Tony is older than both of my parents, but he reminds me of one of those happy little kids. Listening to him talking about his love to music is touching. I also enjoy how much he mentions his music friends throughout our conversation. I mean. I'm jealous of his jazz community. Let's start with his self-introduction and learn more about how he became the content musician that he is today. Tony Maselli, and I—I I guess I'm a jazz musician. I mean, that's what I've done, you know, the last forty years. So, I guess I play an instrument called the vibraphone. A lot of people think it's a xylophone. But it's not because it has metal bars. The xylophone has wooden bars, and people confuse that a lot. But I play the one with the metal bars, and、um, I guess just for the record, I endorse the Malatek Omega, which is a really beautiful instrument、uh, that I've been playing for the last seven or eight years, and it's just—it's really fantastic. Wow! I would love to hear that. Oh, I can play it. Can you? you Want to hear? Can, I got、yes. it right here. Awesome!、Yep. That'll be amazing. Okay. So just so you know, I hold it with I play with four mallets. <laughs> that was fantastic. Do you have a project that you're doing? Yes, I always have a project going. I have the one thing that I will do anything for, and then everything else I have to balance. But I have a group、uh, called Unison, and it's with my dear friend Joanna Pascal, and she's a beautiful singer. And um, uh, we have、um, Byron Landum on drums, and Byron is the the drummer. Oh my God! He played with everybody. He's playing with Steely Dan now. He's just such an amazing musician. Some musicians they just make you feel good about yourself when you're done. Some musicians make you not feel good, and he makes you just wherever, whatever you get done, and you feel good about yourself. And it's because of him. And it's Lee Smith on bass. And、uh, one fact about Lee is the the greatest bass player on the planet is Christian McBride. I mean, he's just hands down. And Lee is his father's, and Lee is an amazing bass player. So I have him, and、uh, who am I missing? Oh, and I have Chris Farr, who's just an incredible saxophone player, and John Swana, who is a trumpet player,、um, and he is the best musicians in the world. So it's, I'm really lucky that it's all the best Philly guys 
were willing to uh, do this project. So that's what I'm doing right now. Do you go on like shows with them or do you, are you guys making a record when you're talking about a project or you just play with them regularly as a project? Well, part of the project in jazz is holding everybody together. So jazz musicians are all over the place. Um, but we have been playing at Chris's Jazz Cafe. We played all through COVID at Chris's because they were streaming. They have beautiful audio and video equipment. And they were streaming um, through the whole time, and they needed bands to do it. And I was there almost every Friday night, and we played a lot of them. Um, we played at Chris's last week. We're playing at the Barnes. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so I played there there for years. I played at the Art Museum for years. And, you know, I'm 60, so I'm kind of old now. So I played everywhere for years, you know? Wow. There's jazz Cafe, all the clubs. You know, you know, I've been around the block quite a few times. Wow. And, like, who does the jobs who book shows? I'm, I'm not really familiar with the um, music industry. Like, so you as musicians, are you also collectively talking to venues and um, get the opportunities or they reach out to one of you and you're like, oh, I actually have some buddies. We can do this thing together. Like, how does that work? Well, it's kind of all of that. Sometimes... Agents get through. Um, if you're really, if you're well known, and if you're 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 famous, you have an agent, uh, and they do everything. You do nothing. When you're more down to earth, like I am, we do everything. So, I book the gigs. I get the guys together. I do the rehearsals. Sometimes an agent calls and hears about the group, and they give me some dates. So I have to hustle. I have to hustle to keep it going. Um, and do it you know i guess you know i hustle and i like it i like hustling um i like getting the gigs uh, you know so it's cool you know you mentioned hustling i guess another question is what do you do for money do you make money from mostly playing shows or i know you're also a teacher from teaching like can you tell me more about that okay so before covid it was like half and half and i was because of the internet, you know, I was, um, I, like, I spent my 20s playing music and getting high and not caring about anything. The 30s, I kind of got my act together, and the 40s, I started working, and by my mid-40s, I was playing all over the world. So I made all these connections, and I was going to Europe, to Asia, to all these places to play. Uh, so I was doing about 50-50 now because of COVID. Uh, I remember when COVID hit, I lost five jobs in one day, and I was supposed to be in France and Ireland and Prague and where am I? I'm in Greece. And it was just one day I got all these emails, and it was like, that's done. So you lose thousands of dollars. And now, just coming back to it, a uh, bulk of my money is from teaching. And I teach, I've been teaching at five uh, universities. So I teach at Temple, University of the Arts. Um, I teach at University of Southern Mississippi. I was teaching at the California Jazz Conservatory. And I also do a lot of teaching at Settlement Music, which is a really amazing Philadelphia music school for high school and young kids. And it's just spectacular because they give away $2 million in free lessons every year. So if you're poor and you want to learn an instrument, Settlement Music is there for you. So I teach there, you know, because of how I feel about the school. Um, and the other places I teach, I mean, I love the schools and I do it for the money and I do it, you know, for all those reasons. And how many days do you teach? Well, I kind of, it can vary. So for now, I've kind of got it into two nine to nine days. So Monday and Tuesday, you know, I'm going from nine in the morning to nine at night doing online stuff and then teaching classes. And then Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, it's a little sporadic and things pop in there. Uh, and but I have more time to practice and do all the things I have to do. And do you usually have your weekends for yourself or playing shows, I guess? Well, in the best of times, yes, my weekends are full of playing shows. Um, it's funny because you hear about all you hear about all these places needing people to work and people aren't coming back. And you know, I've been pl I played thousands of gigs. And now that everything's sort of coming back, I'm looking for things 
but it's kind of like like this weekend I just I just do a couple lessons and it, it feels kind of nice that I don't have to run around and play I mean I love playing that's that's why I do this to play I don't care about being rich or poor I just want to play music but it's it's nice after 40 years and COVID, and you think, all right, well, it's not much happening this weekend, but you know what? It's kind of cool. And I think lots of people are doing that. Lots of people that had crappy jobs aren't working and are going, you know what? I'm not going back. And now the whole world, the United States, is flipping out because where are all these, these people that were underpaid and treated like dirt? Where are they now? You know? And it's kind of like, well, you know, they're kind of saying, screw you. Yeah, it's like an awakening moment for so many people. Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. Did you ever have an awakening moment? Did you ever have a, like a day job, per se? Like, you know, other things are not playing music. And then what was your journey like then? Where you're always like, I want to just do music. I don't care about get a steady job or like be being uh, rich. Well, I, I never cared about being rich. Um, but there was time, there was a, there was two times in my life where I had to do something. And it was the one time where we were just so poor. I had a wife and, uh, two kids and we were just so poor and she was an actress and I was a musician and my back started hurting when I played. I thought I played terrible. So I get on these gigs and I feel horrible. And I went and got a job for probably about six months or eight months driving this truck for these mafia guys and I deliver food to pizza places and it was just the most horrible job in the world and one of my best friends ever was a guy named Fared Riddick and he was in the warehouse and he was he's really smart and he would be sweeping up the warehouse and I'd come in to load up the truck and he'd say oh you went to college and what are you doing? You're loading the truck. So he would rub it in. <laughs> he was doing it for my own good. He became such a dear friend, and he died a bunch of years ago. But uh, And then that got me out and got me back into playing. And I did that for a while. And meanwhile, I loved computers. So I would just sit at home, practice half the day, and be on computers for half the day, and learn all this stuff. And then there was a time where uh, things got bad again. And I saw an ad in the paper to do part-time computer stuff not far from me. So I applied, and which was really kind of a nice story is I applied with about 26 other people with college degrees. And then I got the job. And I thought, wow, I, I, know, I know a lot about computers, I guess, to beat out all these other guys. So I did that, um, and that was a great uh, job for me on the side because I could not come in whenever I was busy. So when I was busy, I wouldn't come in unless, unless my boss said, hey, come in, we need you for this. And then I'd come in, I could work all night, I could do it whenever I wanted. And I did that for a while, and then I got back into playing. And then I had a, uh, my third downtime, I went and did stuff for Wyeth Arist, and we would work night shift. Um, and I would work whenever I wanted. So sometimes it would be no, the whole month I wouldn't work there. The next month I'd be there a couple nights a week. And that all got me through, but I never wanted it to. I never wanted to feel comfortable with it because I knew if I felt comfortable, then I might do it all the time. And if I did it all the time, some people, some musicians, um, uh, will say, "Oh, I'm going to go work for this insurance company," and but I'm not worried about it because I'm going to play at night. And they go out and they do it, and then they're tired at night and they come home, and they don't practice. And those kind of things. Now, I know a couple people that have done it, and they did a great job, you know, so it's not like that can't be done. Uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to spend my life, when I, when I played, I grew up playing classical guitar and drums and piano, and when I switched to vibes, I just thought, uh, I want to do this the rest of my life. I don't know why, but whenever I play it, it's just, it's amazing to me. I, I think... Our brains, things can hit our brain a certain way. When I play the vibes, the way you problem solve and play and play voicings and chords, I think my brain just goes, this is amazing. And that's all I've wanted to do my whole life. So I made sure I tried to keep it 
in the at the center in the front of my life at the expense you know I've been married a couple times lived with a girlfriend uh, and just did a terrible job at those things partly because this had to be first right you have your priority as playing I, music yeah I always thought it was like when somebody is religious in some way and it, that's first they'll you know you could you could you could I don't know do you could kill them in some way unless they revoke their you know their thing and I just thought well that's how I feel about this I'm not religious but I thought this has to be first in my life yeah this is your spiritual um, yeah. goal or this is your this is all you want that's uh, important what? for it, you it's all I want it's not a big deal it's not you know I, I can't hurt too many people with wrong notes um, you know, I, I don't mess up the environment by playing a wrong chord. So I just, I just simply love doing this and that's what I've done. Wow. What are the times that like was really hard? Have you thought about like give oh, up yeah. in some ways? Oh yeah. Yeah. I went one time, I just felt like. Ugh, such a loser and it wasn't making money and um i went uh oh and then I, my first wife's father was talking to me come on what's this music so i went and took a test at this insurance company and uh uh they said okay we'll let you we'll let you know but as i was leaving they said come back come back come back they said you did amazing on this test we want to talk to you right now. And I remember thinking, oh, this is it. This, this is it. And I went in, and I just remember there was this guy behind the desk. It was this big guy with this big belly. And I remember he had he was eating fried chicken, and he had chicken on his shirt. And he's talking to me, and he said, I was a musician. He says, you're going to make so much money, you're not even going to think about music anymore. And that was great, because I stood up and I left. And he was like, come back here, where are you going? I just got on the elevator and left. I just thought, no, 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 no. So that was that was one of those one of those times. But I've had many of those, you know, times where everything hits you in the face and you're like, ah, you know, therapy or this or that. You know, you need help kind of sorting everything out. What was the hardest for you? Was it the money thing? Was it kind of um like the validation from people, for example, your uh, father-in-law at the time, um, like, or for you kind of like, you know, finding the value, what, what was the most difficult or challenging? Well, all of those things, like it is, it is not easy being, uh, I'll say being a jazz musician. I imagine it's not easy just being a musician period, but validation you know some some people feel always f feel good about themselves some people feel too good about themselves like there's always these musicians that don't can't play well but they think they're great and you're talking to them and you're going oh my god you think you're great and then there's musicians who kind of know what they are and they have a handle on things and then there's musicians that are just unbelievable but they're so down on themselves and I'm towards the last part. So something must have happened with me growing up where I'm always thinking, oh, you got to practice. You got to practice. And that's what makes me practice every day because I feel like I'm not good enough. I know after all these years I can do some things. I can, uh, you know, I went and did a, a session last night, had to read some music. And, of course, I'm going and thinking, oh, you're going to screw this up. You're no good. And I did okay. Like, I, you know, I... I'm I'm old. I've had enough experience now, where I can talk to myself and say, "Come on, come on, come on, come on, stop that! You're cool. It's gonna be okay. You know it's gonna be okay. You prepared for it, and then I do okay. But I always, I think the validation thing is what keeps me in the game. That I just think I gotta see this through. I gotta, I gotta do my best every day, and that's it. But the money. Yeah, I had, you know, hard times with family. Um, yeah, the money was, was and is brutal. 
to kind of make a living. Things are a little bit more stable now. I have a website. I have all these things that bring in uh, some income. So that helps stabilize it a bit. But it's still... It's still a challenge. Yeah, it, it, the website thing. I looked at your website. It looks amazing. It's so professional. Like, did you start it yourself? Where did you get an idea that I'm going going to have a website and like talk about the things that I do and offer workshops and classes? Well, after 9/11 hit, there were no gigs. Everything dried up. Nobody wanted to come out after the those towers came down. Everybody was afraid, and. It was like a version like COVID, not as bad, but for a few weeks or a couple months, things were really horrible, and everybody was depressed. Uh, so um, I remember I was talking to my dad, who wasn't really into me being a musician, but he accepted it, and he was amazingly supportive. My Both my parents helped me through some really bad times. So my dad said to me, uh, I, he said, how's it going? I said, well, you know, the... Everything's weird now with gigs because of 9-11. And, you know, and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I would like to, I remember I said, I would like to build a bridge so they would come to me. And I said, you know, I like hanging out with Vibe players. I like teaching. So I want to build a website that has Vibe instruction. And I want people to come. And I want them to pay a fee each month. And... You know, and I want to give up lessons and make a community. And uh, so he said, how much do you want? And I, and I figured out that I'd need at least $30,000 to get this thing going. And he just wrote out the check, gave me the money. And then the pressure was on. So I had to spend months, a couple years, learning Logic, learning Final Cut, learning how to at least functionally use, a, use video cameras, learning how to do audio, learning how to put it all together, learning how to make video. And I did all that. And then in about 2008, I launched the site. And that was it. And I had to build it. And I used to go out on the Internet and get like one person at a time. I'd go on YouTube and find young Vibe players and say something nice about them. And my picture would have a vibraphone, So I knew they'd Google me. And I knew they'd find the site. And I'd see them pop in. I used to keep track. And I'd see a couple of days later, somebody popped in. Oh, that sounds like same new username on YouTube. And, you know, five would come in. One would sign up. And I just did that for the first year and only had about 20 or 30 people. And then it started to get uh, more. Um, and I have uh, members, not subscriptions. So when I say the number, you would think, oh, you're so rich. But wait, it's membership. And membership is free. But I have over 5,000 Vibe players from around the world on it. But I only get from about 100. At one time, I, ha I had up to 500. I imagine if I hustled it more, I can keep that number growing. But, uh, so, but it's cool. It makes some money. It helps me with visibility. I met people all over the world, musicians. And if I didn't make a lot of money from the site, I made money because so some Vibe player would hear me play, see the site, and say, hey, I run this festival. There was a guy in Korea. I run the, the Deju Jazz Festival, Daegu. Uh, and he said, I want you to come. So I was going there um, for several years, and I'd just go and play, and it paid really well. So that the Internet helped me, helped me get out there and get known, because before that, I just played around Philly, and nobody knew, you know, nobody knew who I was. What is the membership? Do you like what does that mean if I'm a member? If you're a member, there's all this free stuff you can look at. So you can be involved in stuff. If you pay, you have access to it. We're, we're probably getting close to 2,000 lessons on the site for the vibraphone. So you can get access to these lessons. Oh, but so you have a library of can, lessons that you pre recorded and they have access to it. Yes, and I use some of the money to pay other vibe players. You know, I want I want it to benefit my instrument. So there's guys and I pay them money to make lessons for me and they put them up. So it's not a it's not a closed community. You know, as a musician you can feel territorial and think, no, 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 no other pros, just me and I want these people. And I was feeling like that, but I thought that's not the way to do this. The way to do this is make a big inclusive um, thing here. And I did that. And I would hire other Vibe players and 
all the famous five players came and would sign up and just check the site out. And I'd see that Mike Manieri was there or Gary Burton. I'd reach out to them. And so it became a nice, became a nice community based on the fact that I didn't let my territorial side take over my, like, I don't know, hippie side. You know, like, hey, it's cool, it's cool. So it's a great, it's a great site. And I get to travel all over the world because of the site and got to do such amazing things. And I'm happy. Wow, that's awesome. That's so good to hear. Yeah. Like after all this hustling. But you said you're still sort of hustling now. Oh, I'll hustle. I'll hustle forever. You know, I I think uh this I think as you go up and up, you know, as you climb the ladder, there's all these things that are important. You know, I see I see some friends of mine or play with people who are great musicians and have have uh, you know really great careers? You know they dress nice, they look good, they're charismatic, they're friendly. You know, and I don't. I I'm not interested in a bunch of that stuff. Like sometimes I'm grouchy. I like wearing t-shirts and jeans. I'm not worried about my image, and I think that comes into play. And you know, just luck and all those things. But I've had a great time. And I don't regret it. Um, I just, you know, you just accept where you are and you keep trying to make music. Do you ever feel like sour to see your peers if they're like at, you know, the higher the letter, whatever that means, and like dressed up and kind of um, play ads more with more famous musicians, like, you know, quote unquote, more yeah. successful? Yeah, I, well, sometimes, you know, it's, some things in life sting. You know, you go through life and something happens and you just go, ah, oh, and it stings. I, that's why I think of it. And I have a great, my uh, great buddy, John Swana, we were talking about it one time. And he said, you just put a Band-Aid on and you keep going. And that was my life lesson. That was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I just, when, you know, when things hit, you just, you just keep going. You put a Band-Aid on. And you keep going. I've done enough cool things. I have such amazing friends. I put these bands together, and the music is, I think, is really, really incredible. And I just think, well, I'm, you know, if I'm playing with, like I said, that band Unison, I might as well be playing with anybody because those guys are the best. With the best, you know, you have the best, the best famous. You have the best kind of famous. You have the best. Nobody knows who they are. You know, every town has a musician. That nobody knows who they are outside of the town, but they're a musical genius. And we have a guy in Philly, uh, Tom Lawton, who is just a musical freak. That's the only way to say it. what he does musically is so astounding. And I, he's not. I don't think he's well known outside of Philly. And he just works here, and he could care less. And he just goes and does his thing, and we all love him. And whenever I play with him, I just think, well. I could be I could be playing with any piano player, and it would be, only be as good as this. You know, it's only, you know, because he is he is at the top. He's amazing. So those kind of things help you keep going. Um, and I think I've done enough things. I've been on big stages. I've you know played for lots of people. Played for five people. Played for a few thousand people. That at least I've had a taste of everything. And whatever I don't get. It doesn't matter because with my instrument, you know, we were, I did a class the other day and we were talking about what success is and what being successful is. And um, I was saying, you know, is somebody who lives in a, who's super poor and has nothing, if they go out and somehow manage to get some kind of degree and get a nice job and they make a living for the rest of their life, are they successful? And I was like, I think that person's unbelievably anybody gets anybody that can get out of the hood, right? That's a success story. So when you when when I when you think about all that, and I think that most five players, it's so hard for them to do anything because it's not a well known or popular or in demand instrument. Uh, that I'm successful, and some of my friends, I have a student named Ben Galise. I mean, he's making a living out of it. He's successful. I have students that have graduated and then they're hustling and they're doing it. And I think, well, 
you know, you're doing great. If you can spend your life playing the instrument, I think you're as successful as anybody. Do you like teaching? I love teaching students that want to learn. I like teaching students that don't know if they want to learn, but they're doing the work. Challenging to teach students that don't do the work and don't learn. And the challenge there is to inspire them to do it. Because a lot of these, a lot of these students I teach are going to be teachers. And, you know, you teach a student that isn't doing the work, doesn't play well, and I just think, come on, you're going to go teach. What are you going to teach if, if you don't even learn how to do it so that you can do it well? And then if you don't want to do it professionally, you don't have to. But at least when they come up and students ask you questions about jazz, about improvisation, you did it. So that's the thing. But it's so great to teach students that... That, that are there every week and do the work and have questions and they're on fire and they're young and they just want to be great and that that's the best. So, yeah, I, I think I like doing all of it. I think it's love, really like a lot, and like. I see, I see. It depends on the students, of course, because it's like a interactive process, right, when you're teaching. Well, I mean, just imagine... Sometimes you're in front of, a, of, of 20 or 30 people and you realize that there's like five or 10 people that are on their phones and they, it, you know, it's just like they, they, could care, they, could, they could care less. That's my impression. I can't be a fortune teller. I can't stereotype anybody. I have to really, really work hard to consider everybody sort of equal. But it's, you know, it's, you have these students that do all the work and have all these fascinating questions. Some I can't answer, I have to think about. Um, and those are the ones that, you know, if there was a school with just that, that would be so amazing because, like, I learn. Like, I learn. I have a student now. His name is Oliver Maimon, and he's at Temple. And I had other ones. Morgan Walbridge was my last one. Uh, ben, who's a professional vibe player uh, now, uh, I taught him about 20 years ago. But we would come into lessons, and it's just like, oh, my God. And then, they, you know, it gets to the point where you're thinking, what am I going to teach this person? They're becoming so good. And that's exciting. You know, because I know, I think it's a teacher's job to make everyone better than them. And it was interesting because uh, Michio Kusho, who's a macrobiotic um it's like the head of the macrobiotic movement. I think, I don't know if he's still alive or not. But he used to say, he used to say it's our jobs as teachers to make people better than us. And if you think about it, he would say Jesus and Buddha and Allah, they failed. Because why aren't people better than them? And I thought, oh. I thought that was so fascinating to think about. So I love it when I see students and I think, man, you're gonna, you, I think you're going to be better than me. And to watch that happen is really exciting. And you're saying that is happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've had students, you know, my, my Ben Galise, he's fantastic. You know, I have my thing and I'll always have my thing. I don't feel threatened by those guys because I have my area. But these guys are turning out to be amazing vibraphone players. And that is so exciting. And just likewise, it's depressing to have, you know, I've had a few that have so much talent and they just wouldn't put, they don't put the time in. I just think it's the opposite. It's, it's like you're sad because you just realize if you only did this and put your effort into it, you would be great. And why not be great at something in your life, right? Why not be great at whatever it is? I don't care if it's, if it's being a teacher, it's being a mechanic, it's being a mom, a dad, or a lawyer, or a doctor, like, why not try to be great at one thing? Mm. So it's nice to see when they do it, and it's sad when they don't. And a lot, of, and sometimes they come back. Sometimes that's why I can't be a fortune teller. I might be sad about the student, and but they'll get out of school, and school just wasn't the best place for them. And then you see them five years later, and you hear them play, which I've heard many times, and you're like, oh, my God, you sound great. Oh. Like, yeah, I got out of school. I started practicing. I figured things out. So you never know. Yeah. People grow. People grow at different times. Yes.
That's true. So I know I I've, uh, I know some teachers that would just discourage the students and say, "Look, you got to do something else. You're not cutting this." But I will never ever do that because they might get out of school and they might do it. And sometimes they they don't they don't become un, they don't become great they, or they become just become good. There was a student who played guitar and his teacher wanted him to quit music. And the student, I was talking with the student, he started crying. I said, if you love music, play music. Why are you listening to your guitar teacher? Like, anybody that says stuff like that to you, you just go, okay, this guy's an asshole. Register that and don't take that kind of advice from him. And then he wrote me a few years later, this is 20 years ago, and he was in a rock band and they were making a ton of money. And I just thought, what if he would have quit? And went and, you know, managed a McDonald's or uh, was a toll booth collector, which are fine jobs, but you know what I mean? This, instead, he's making all this money or was playing in his rock band, and he said he's playing for thousands of people. And I just thought, I'm so glad you didn't take your stupid teacher's advice. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, they took yeah. your advice. Yeah, well, I, I just think he just decided, do I love doing this? I do. I want to do it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Yeah. Growing up, who like uh, made a big impact on you? Well, I, I think my parents helped me a lot, but um, I don't think they knew how to do it. And I understand. I, that's fine. But they really helped me. I just remember I came home my 18th birthday and I said I love playing the vibes I love playing the vibes and I just just was so happy and my mother went out and bought me a vibraphone and brought it home and it was a great one and so she, in her way she did what she could and same with my dad I got a lot of inspiration from teachers I had an amazing piano teacher who I just would live at his house and We'd listen to music, and he took me under his wing, and he, he really inspired me. And that was so important to me. Some some strange things happened towards the end, and I had to quit and go and just go like, okay, I'm stopping and and leave. But but he did he did so much good that it outweighs. So and I had a great classical guitar teacher who was really inspiring, an amazing drum teacher who would just uh, Joe share and would just so down to earth as a teacher so all those people inspired me to to try to become as good as i could become mm, do you always like practicing playing is that can that be boring or or maybe it's no no it's never boring for you it's never boring for me i just love practicing i love practicing as much as i love playing gigs so if, and if I don't practice, you know, you could ask my, ex, my ex-wives and my girlfriend, if I don't practice, I become, I become a shithead. <laughs> I just would it'd just be awful, awful. How often do you practice and how long do you practice? Well, when I was in school, I was doing probably between six and ten hours a day. I mean, I was practicing. I used drugs to stay awake and practice you know i just everything was for practicing and when and when i got out i was still practicing you know four to six hours a day um now it's probably somewhere an hour and a half to three hours a day um because uh, i have now with the computer and all this stuff i have hours of email a day probably a couple hours of email i have to think about the site i have to make lessons so i have long days but I always make sure, I try to make sure I play every day and just do it because I just love it. I have so much fun. That's amazing. Because I play some instruments too, but it's, you know, I'm not like as serious for sure. And sometimes I feel like, oh, I have to do it to kind of like check the box. I did it, so maybe I'll be better. But I don't feel uh -huh. like I... It's hard for me to find a goal to achieve. Well, is there something that you do that you just love doing whenever you do it? Is there something else? Is there, you know, some people like... 
Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you got, I think as long as you got that thing, everything else can be whatever else it is. Mm. You know, I just feel bad. In my mind, I feel bad if somebody doesn't have that one thing. Mm. You know, I, like I remember there was a guy when I did the pizza truck thing and he loved, just loved making those ships that you put them in bottles and you pull the sails up. And that was his, that he just loved doing it. And I thought, well, you, you got your thing. So your thing can be anything like that. It's just, it's just, a, you know, just, you don't want your thing to be drugs or booze or, you know, I have buddies that just love to smoke pot. And I think, okay, that's not a thing. You know, that, that, that is, that doesn't help you long-term. It only helps you short-term. Right. And that's also consuming, not expressing. Oh, wow. Wow. That's consuming, not expressing. I have to, right. I'm remembering that. Because <laughs> we have these talks all the time. You know, I sometimes I have buddies. I did a, I did a lot of drugs. I did a lot of drugs and I thought it helped me musically. And I still get with guys and guys will say, yeah, you know, if, if, I think I play better if I do this or do that. And I'm always going, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because mm. some guys, you play the first set. And it's just incredible. It's just great. You're so happy. You're inspired. And then you, they, they hit the bar in the second set and they put a couple shots down, a beer. And it's cool. But then they come up and play and you're starting to go, oh, what's happening here? Something's changing. And then if there's a third set, they hit the bar again. And then it's, it's just, you're just watching it go downhill. And that's, to me, Awful. It's awful because you're hurting the band. You're hurting all these other guys that came out here to play. Now, I realize, I understand addiction. You know, I've been around it with, with people around me very close. And I understand that. But still, you know, when you're, when you're doing stuff like that, whether it's addiction or not, you're hurting other people as you consume. And if it's just playing crappy on a gig then that's still a drag because I want to play great. I want the music to be great. I don't want somebody, if you could do it, and I don't know I don't know the difference. I'm sure there's some guys that have played and I don't know what's happening. And the music's great, fine. But, you know, you're playing with somebody, you don't know what's happening, but you're going, what's going on here? Wait, you just messed up. Oh, you just messed up again. And then you're going, I know what's happened. You're drunk, you're stoned. So, yeah. Mm, was drug ever a big problem for you you know when I was young I actually thought I needed to get addicted to heroin to be a good musician it makes no sense to me now but back when I was young and so insecure about myself I thought I need to do this well the good news is I didn't get addicted to it but I tried to I just did it wrong I talked to my couple friends that have been addicts and they laughed because I told them how I did it and I tried to <laughs> do it here and do it there and 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 they just laughed at me um and I didn't but I thought drugs were important to be a musician when I was young mm, that's I think that's also part of the pop culture message right yes. at the time at, at least yes it's part of yes part of the pop culture message it's it's part of Ignorance, it's a, it's a whole bunch of things. You know, now when I hear things and people say things, um, and, and I go, oh, come on. But they're young. I go, wait a second. Look what you thought. You know, you thought this. So I thought the dumbest thing. So that helps me now to, to be a little more tolerant. Because I think when you get, as you get old, you start being cranky and less tolerant of young people's stuff. So if you if you can reflect, you can remember being young and just searching and doing things and doing things out of ignorance. And and it's amazing what people can be ignorant about when you're young and not know about. I just it can be anything. So and I'm the proof of it because I thought that was a good idea. Yeah. And I think I can just tell that you're a really good teacher because you are trying to relate with your students and and recall your memories when you were young and quote unquote, when you said you're ignorant. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you have to be honest. I'm real honest with my students. I mean, they know all these things 
about me, you know, musically or wh- whatever they ask me, I'll talk to them about mm-hmm. because I think it's important. And it's important to tell them your stories when you were young. You know, I used to give a speech at University of the Arts every year and talk about thinking I had to be hooked on heroin and do drugs. And, and you know, and it's a good thing for them to know so they can think, well, I think this. Or, you know, maybe somewhere they're thinking something in the back of their mind, they're going, no, 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 that's not smart. And, and it helps. So I think, you know, it's important as you get older to kind of, when people want to listen, relate some things without, without any of that stuff, you know, yeah. pointing the finger. <laughs> that my, my wife used to say, when you point that finger at me, there's four fingers pointing back at you. And I was like, oh, okay, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, well, since you mentioned you've married a couple of times and you have girlfriend now, right? And is it, um, I guess I'm curious about what lessons you've learned about balancing your life, your partnership with being a musician and achieve, you know, trying to pursue your own dreams. Yeah, well, you know, things take time and energy. And the thing that takes the most time and energy is when you're to, to marry someone, to live with someone, that takes, that's the hardest thing in the world. From my point of view, it is so difficult to do. Some people are hardwired differently. Some people can handle it better, you know. But I just think, I had a shrink that said to me one time, he said, look, look, I'm just going to tell you it like this. He said, you are hardwired differently than most other people. So you have these problems because of your brain and how it's hardwired. So, okay. But I still have to deal with those things. I still have to be a better person and do all that. And now, you know, I, I kind of I live alone. And it's nice because I just know, you know, I can stay up all night and do something and not get in trouble or, you know, not... I mean, it was my fault. If you're married with somebody and you don't see them for days, that's not, that's not cool. So, yeah, I was, yeah, I didn't do a good, I did a bad job, you know, being married or being a partner. I'm much better at it now than I was a thousand times, but I think I'm still not great. And I don't know if I'll ever be great. You know, when uh, COVID hit, uh, I split up with my girlfriend and my sister uh, lives in the country in New Jersey and has a gigantic house and said, why don't you take the basement? And I just thought, I'm taking the basement. And I just have this amazing life in this this basement. We, we have There's chickens and a pig and rabbits and lizards and, you know, birds. And it's just like, it's amazing. And I just can be by myself and uh, uh, do my thing. And I know when I do something different next time or if I get with somebody, at least I know how I'm supposed to be. And then I can think, am I going to do it or am I not? Because if you don't do it, then you hurt somebody. Right. Uh, and I think, so I'm just as guilty as anybody else. To be married and be unbelievably selfish, you're hurting somebody else. But I think marriage can be, you know, as a young person here, um, I think marriage can, it's not like just one type of marriage. There's so many type no. of, you know, every couple probably have a different marriage. And I think as long as it's agreement, right? Like both party imagining that you are committed to this one thing, then that's okay if that marriage um, entails that like, you know, you don't need to see each other every day, then that's cool. Yes. Wow. You're you're super smart. That's great. You totally get it. (laughs) You know, every couple has their own set of rules. And some of their rules, you like you listen to some couple's rules and you just go, oh, my God. And some couple's rules, you go, oh, my, that's boring. You know, so, but if they're happy, if each couple is happy, fine. And for some, you know, it lasts for 10 or 20 years and then it's done. And, you know, I, I just don't, I don't quite think we have to be this monogamous thing that people think we like we you know I you know we if we don't go through life with one person it's not I, I don't think it's such a bad thing you know just whatever you have to do and whatever changes 
And if it's time to move on, it's time to move on. And if you don't, my grandparents were married for 75 years or something. And they never thought about anything except being together. They never fought. It was never a problem. Nobody cheated on anybody. And that was just, this, that was their agreement. It wasn't even an agreement. They just did it. Yeah, maybe there was no other options either. They never thought about theirs. could do other things, right? I'm not saying they I, should. I, you know, I, I guess so. I think there was different times then, but I still can think of a few people now, and they've been together their whole lives. Now, I don't know what happened. You know, my, my shrink, uh, I had this guy, Edward Monty. He was amazing. And he told me once there was a, there was a study for married couples and divorced couples, and it looked at their problems. And he said what was fascinating was the problems on both sides were identical. Just these people chose to stay together, but these people didn't. It's not like these people had such horrible problems. You know, infidelity was the same, everything was the same, and these people, for whatever reasons, worked it out, and these people didn't. And that was kind of cool also to realize, you know, either you do it or you don't. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so, choice. Yeah. I think, you know, at 61, I think my married days are behind me. But it was, I've, you know, I've learned a lot of stuff. Mm. I was going to say, like, from listening to you talking about your decision making or your journey changing feels like. Uh, it's reminds me of jazz because jazz you're responding to, you know, another musician, like the music notes yes. and you heard that. And then you are playing this to respond to the other. It's like a continuous con like communication and feels like you are living your life in that way. Uh, yes, I think it's great. That's great. Wow. You're, 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 you're amazing. Um, but yes, I think, I think, that's what it is. But and speaking of that, I have a student in three minutes. You should go to your student. But thank you so much, Tony. One last thing. Can I ask you one last yes. question? What is your dream job? Play the vibes. Play the vibes. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You know, I like computers. I like programming. I'd like to bring that in around. Well, I do bring it in around what I do. I'd like to bring it in a little more. But if I could only do one thing. It would be, you know, if you stuck me on a desert island with my vibes and books, I'm good. You just listened to an episode of Working Artist. This is Yixuan Pan. The music is made by Tristan Dan, who is a working musician and librarian. Please email weareworkingartists at gmail.com if you are interested in being a guest and sharing your stories.